righty. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue in our series. And when we look at our first slide here, I try to pick artwork and things that help with, you know, not just uh, for things to look at, but actually help with tracking things. So I kept the same artwork for, you might call unit one or part one, uh, Doctrine of God. So we're, we're in a series in, in theology, and I'm using the book by Wayne Grudem, which is a systematic theology book. And I didn't cover everything in the section on doctrine of God, but we covered quite a few things. And so now we're switching gears to the doctrine of man. And so we'll consider that to be part two. And I just chose some artwork. Uh, this is, uh, of course, from where? Let's see how good you are. Yeah, the Sistine Chapel. Very um, well, that, that, that feels very... A very uh, American English of you to say it that way. I, I, I don't think it was Michelangelo. <laughs> so, so, now I probably can't say it right either. I think a little closer to Michelangelo or something like that. <laughs> uh, is his first name Mike? First name is Michael, and his last name is Angelo. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I believe you're right. I think it was Michelangelo that um, did that. The, uh, of course, this is just a small little part of it. That's actually Adam's hand on the left and the hand of God on the right. So it's like God reaching out and giving life to Adam. So anyways, the creation of Adam. And so I just borrowed that uh, image for our series. So we'll, we'll use that each week uh, to kind of remind ourselves that we're on the, the doctrine of man uh, in this. And if we go to our lesson today, uh, this will be our eighth lesson in our uh, series and so we're on the creation of man for uh, today. Now um, that doesn't mean we'll be going over the creation story because it's just specifically man himself and uh, not the six days of creation that we'll have. So as we uh, as we begin this, maybe we'll start off with the word man itself. This creation of man, it's not just creation of males uh, that we're speaking of, but creation of mankind. Well, in this day and age, maybe it's appropriate to think about the question whether we should use the word man to refer to mankind. Uh, some <laughs> don't want us to use these uh, terms like that, would like a little bit more gender-neutral uh, terms. I'll swing around, back around to that thought here in a moment, and actually in a future lesson, we'll probably come back to that thought even more. Um, but um, we might say this, our de uh, the decision to use man um, is one that is warranted in passages such as Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. And that particular passage says, In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Now, if we just stop right there, it's okay. Well, what's meant by that? Is that uh, males? Or is it talking about the human race? Well, the verse doesn't end there. I'll, I'll go back and read at the beginning. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them. And so God here in the scripture is using the word man uh, to speak of the human race. Um, now, the Hebrew word that's translated man in, the, in that passage, as well as uh, Genesis chapter uh, too has a kind of a similar thought is actually the word Adam, which is 
you know, when you think of Adam and Eve, well, Adam means man. And so um, it's uh, the term Adam. And the same t- uh, term, of course, is used to actually name him. So, but the practice of using the same term to refer to male human beings and to the human race uh, generally, so you could say it originated with God himself. And so for that reason, uh, maybe we shouldn't uh, object to it or find it uh, to be insensitive. Um, now, in regards to this uh, thought of gender-neutral language, of course, in our society, that debate has raged strong uh, recently and has gone much more, you know, much more of the focus isn't really on um, women and men, like male and female. It's gone beyond that to not even wanting to <laughs> recognize that much. Um, I'm not going to talk about that a lot today. I think that'll come out in some of our lessons. We'll speak of that uh, a little bit more. But maybe, um, maybe highlight it in terms of just male and female. Um, so I, I'm going to uh, sympathize with the thought a little bit. Um, I think the, human, the, the history of humankind has demonstrated that humans are more than willing to exploit each other for personal gain. It's, you know, it's the major motivation of slavery, which has existed, I don't know when slavery first began, but I think it probably began pretty early on. And of course we read about that in uh, the scriptures. Usually a history of slavery isn't so much the history of one group disliking another, as much as one group loving themselves more than the other, such that they don't mind profiting uh, off of the other people. So I don't know, for example, in the Bible, when the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrews, that it was so much we hate Hebrews, therefore they ought to be slaves to us and inferior to us. Now, I think in the history of the United States, uh, you know, we get the racial aspect of slavery comes in and we it's hard for people to think about slavery in terms of things that aren't racial, uh, but the history of mankind wasn't really so much about racial. Now, in our country, it became a racial thing, uh, but in, in the beginning, I don't think it was so much uh, that. It became associated with that, but it was really about uh, a stronger group picking on a weaker group for their own advantage, so go down and enslave people that didn't have the ability to stop it and then profit from them with all the plantations and the money-making opportunities and stuff that came with that. Uh, but so it was with the uh, Egyptians and the Hebrews. They're going to have to do a lot of the hard work. Like, life is work. I, I tell our students that, and I, I don't think they have any problems believing me, but that doesn't make them want to do their schoolwork anymore. <laughs> uh, but it's just like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I teach math. I, I you know, if you don't like math, I can't get around the fact that it's helpful for you to learn math, and we're not just doing this because you enjoy it, so, you know, sorry, I mean, <laughs> but you're, you're going to be glad once the work's over, if you learn the math, you're going to be glad that you can do it, because you're going to find it very useful in life, and I, I'm sure that they believe me, but that doesn't make them like it anymore, and it doesn't automatically motivate them anymore uh, to do their math. I'm sure some kids, it maybe it helps, and some are like, well, I still don't want to do my homework, so um, I'm still probably not going to really do it. Um, the Egyptians didn't want to make those bricks. It was hot, dirty work. 
And uh, they wanted the results of it, some of their great construction projects, but hey, let's make the Hebrews do it. So they have to do the nasty work that you know, none of the rest of us want to do. And such is life. Um, men physically are stronger than women, so many societies have exploited females for their, for their own uh, purposes, whatever it was they wanted to accomplish. And if, uh, sometimes men have kept women under their thumb and uh, denied them things that, you know, if, of course, many societies are not trying to think biblically, but biblically thinking, many of the things that women were denied, there wasn't really a biblical basis for, uh, for that uh, denial. And so, you know, I think things like even in our country, women not having the right to vote uh, for many years, not really a biblical basis for that. And uh, yet those types of things, I think um, I can sympathize some where some might become a little sensitive uh, to past abuses that have happened and, and not want to have um, a term that seems so gender specific like man. Um, but I would think in general, we just want to be careful not to, um, not to let that pendulum swing the other way and overreact and do one major thing. I think uh, there's, there's lots of aspects to the to Bible teaching behind this, but there's one major one, and that's this, like, the pendulum swings here, and let's just uh, come back to just uh, the, some of the, the mistreatment of women that's happened at the hands of men. The pendulum in mankind with a sinful nature has swung that way where it shouldn't swing. But when we try to correct it back again, here's where the pendulum can swing past what would be appropriate down here in the middle, over here to to basically this. We override God in something he established that was good because we're trying to correct something man did that was not good. And that's the danger is swinging back and telling God he was inappropriate in some of the gender roles that he set up. And so we're not going to get a lot into that uh, today, but the fact is that um, God set up two genders he set up roles for them, but in that process, there's, e there's equality in that. That's been one of the abuses has been there's um, cultures that have embraced uh, biblical teaching, sometimes as emphasized men in almost like a, a superior way, which is not what the scriptures teach or put forth. Um, but um, having specific roles, yet being equal before the eyes of the Lord. Now we know from scripture that when we get to heaven someday, there isn't going to be uh, these genders as far as I can tell. There's definitely not going to be marriage in heaven. Uh, Jesus answers that when he's asked that sp a specific question about that, uh, which is kind of a weird thought. Um, th those of us you know, in life who are married, thinking that when we get to heaven, we won't have that relationship that we had I don't know how we'll view that person that we viewed in a very close relationship in life. So when we get to heaven, though, we, if we're not going to be married, then you really don't have that same relationship. And yet, if both spouses are Christians and are in heaven, I don't know, do we just view each other? The, I mean, like, for example... Would I view? Would I come to the point of viewing Crystal the same as my wife as a sister in Christ, but not with anything different? I don't know. Now the good news is I don't actually have to try to figure this out now. 
I'll figure that out then, and then I'll, I'll actually know what that's like. But I think there, you know, it seems there's a possibility. Will we view each other as male and female at that time? I'm not sure on that. Um, and so I don't have to quite, quite figure that one out either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know the angels don't have a gender like that, and they don't, they're not given in marriage and things like that. So um, I think it's possible that that was a relationship um, you know, meant for this life. Uh, a big part of it is procreation and establishing families, and big focus is that God, through families, brings a lot of glory to himself and is part of how society has been organized by the Lord. Um, so, well, I... I don't know that we always have to use gender language like man, like it would not be a problem using something else like human race. At the same time, I don't think we need to avoid it, um, but it could be appropriate in our discussion. So, And our author is using that term and using that term, oops, I was going to point back, forgot I'm off the slide, but we have a section here, Doctrine of Man, which really just means mankind or humans. Okay, so then... Um, we say, well, why was man created? Our uh, question that's on our slide here. And we've got one main answer for that, which is the first point on the slide. He's created for God's glory. And Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And so we find that this is what the Bible identifies as really our number one purpose in life. Uh, one verse that you might be more familiar with in Isaiah 43.7 is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Or at least if you grew up in church as a kid, there was a song that sometimes churches uh, sang on that, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God, and you can put that to a tune. I'll spare you um, having to listen to me sing solo for you. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to do so. I just um, I feel for you. If, and so I'm, I'm being kind and not doing that to you. Um, I'm sparing you, not sparing me. Okay. But, uh, for example, in some of the uh, Protestant catechism, such as the Westminster Larger Catechism, the very first question in there is this. Catechisms, of course, are a series of questions with answers. Uh, they're, they've been used as teaching tools uh, by some um, churches uh, to help teach young people basic Bible truths. So they're, they're done where, here's a question, now let's teach you what the answer is. And then many times they try to help the children memorize these. Uh, but the, first, the, the very first question that the catechism starts with is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? So our chief purpose in life. And so then the answer is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. And so these, uh, this is a scripture-based uh, idea. Um, now, our second point on the slide man's purpose in life then i mean they, they almost seems like the same thing uh but what's why did god create man well number one he created us for uh his own glory so then what's our main purpose in life well that is our main purpose in life uh to bring him glory and so now it doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we're doing but everything else we're doing is tied up in that Thus that verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. And so it is possible to eat and to drink, uh, but not to the glory of God. And it's also possible to do those things to the glory of God. Uh, So just in my own mind, in my own thinking, I always think about a particular verse. Um, I don't have the reference memorized. I should reference uh, or memorize that because I do think of it uh, whenever I think of this topic. I believe it's in one of the Psalms, but if I'm wrong, it's in Proverbs. And it talks about the plowing of the wicked. Okay, so people who do not glorify God with their lives, thus they are wicked. And they go out and plow a field. It says the plowing of the wicked is sin. You think, well, how can it be wrong? How can it be sinful to go out and plow a field? This is it. They don't go out there for the glory of God. Therefore, the word sin in the Bible uh, does not mean wicked activity. The word sin can be more generic than that. Anything that, that misses the mark, so the general thought of, is missing the mark, like shooting at a target. There's the target, glorify God. The wicked didn't do that when he went out and plowed a field. He did it for some other reason, maybe selfish reasons, money reasons, or, or even just love. It could even be love of his own family, but it missed the mark on love of God. Uh, therefore, it was not a right activity. Uh, he missed the mark. Okay, now, no one would go up and say, you know, sinner, I can't believe you're out here plowing the field. You know, the activity was not the problem. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you miss that, uh, then the Bible would identify that as a sin. Now, in human terms, we often are uh, much more narrow in our definition of sin. We just define sin as something that's evil, something that's a bad activity, um, Usually, a bad activity we do as opposed to a bad act or not doing a good activity. Uh, but the Bible that really identifies uh, anything that we we should have done and we didn't, or we shouldn't have done and we did, uh, and whether it's evil or not in itself is not always the issue. Okay? So, glorifying God is um, purpose of man. Okay, so that's why God created man, to bring him glory. That's the number one thing. So we'll go to our next slide here. Okay. And man in the image of God. So this is one of the things when we're looking at God creating man. Well, when we look at that, this is one of the major aspects about man that makes man uh, unique. Man is the only creature that is uh, said to be made uh, in the image of God. And so the fact is... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm saying that sentence the wrong way. Okay, Um, let's look at what it means, uh, uh, the fact of being created in the image of God and what that represents. Okay, And so to do that, we'll look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And that verse says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he uh, them. Well, the, the meaning of this is that God uh, has created man to be similar to himself in his own image. So the Hebrew words for image and also the word likeness is used in verses such as the preceding verse, verse 26. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So the words Hebrew and likeness, sorry, the words image and likeness in the Hebrew are similar um, in this. 
So much of the controversy um, regarding the image of God can be seen in people trying to define that too narrowly. Um, it doesn't mean we are God. It does not mean that we're trying to in some way be God or be, uh, well, we become like him in some ways. But again, the Hebrew words here is something that is similar, but not identical to. So, and again, the Hebrew words uh, translated in English are image and likeness. So the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God in some various ways. Again, but not uh, identical to him. Okay. So we're going to have uh, several points in here. Like how, are, how, how does the image of God, how are we like God? Well, there's going to be three events that we're going to look at. In fact, maybe I'll go ahead and put up all three of him. We're going to talk about the image of man, or man in the image of God in relation to what we often refer to as the fall. And then we're going to look at that in relationship to the redemption of Jesus Christ, the redemption that Christ Jesus offers. And then we'll look at it in relation to the return of Christ. So these three events. Uh, the first one is the fall of man. Here's a question. Is man still in the image of God after sin came? Because these verses we read is that man was in the image of God when he was first created. And that's where you'd say, if we use, you know, go back to what those words mean. The image or likeness means similar, but not identical to the thing it represents. So are we still similar to God after we became sinful creatures? Okay. Well, we get the answer to that uh, in uh, some verses. For example, Genesis 9, verse 6. That verse says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So here we're talking about a murderer. But this murderer, who's a sinful person, is murdering someone else who's also a sinful person. This is clearly after the fall. And what does it say? For in the image of God made he man... So that other person that got killed, that's a problem. And God says a major problem is I made that person in my image and you just killed them. Uh, that's a problem. So it would not be a problem if that was no longer true of the other person. By the way, this is a part of the, the difference between a human and, and an animal. Uh, would it be okay to eat an animal? Well, God modeled that for us. I don't think that was likely the original uh, intent with, I mean, it wasn't, I shouldn't say likely, I know it's not. Death did not exist before sin, uh, even death of animals. By the way, would trees have died? The, you know, like if you eat plant material, if you, you know, dig up a carrot, have you, have you killed? <laughs> the Bible in, in the scriptures. Um, tends to uh, speak of death more in relation to animals with consciousness. Uh, it would not have been, um, I think, inconsistent with creation prior to the fall to think of plants like the cows would have eaten the grass, uh, and the you know. So, and I don't know if it had always been more than just simply a haircut. <laughs> I think you know the grass. Plant might have died because the whole maybe the whole thing got eaten. Um, Bible doesn't spend much time on that, and I don't think we have to. 
Um, but the death in the Bible seems to be uh, more talking about things with consciousness, like a dog or a cat or something like that. Uh, but still, uh, again, uh, prior to the fall, we were made in the image of God. And after the fall, it still seems to be there. Were animals made in the image of God? No. So at the fall, God kills animals for a covering for sin and also makes a statement that the animals uh, can be food for man. And so there is a difference that's there. But we'll keep moving on with the image of man. Uh, there's still enough likeness of God. We, we still reflect God or have the image of God, the likeness of God, or are similar to him in certain ways, even though we are sinful man. But here's the deal. It obviously is not going to be the same type of reflection of God. It's not going to be as similar as it was because God is not sinful. Now that mankind is, we don't, we don't resemble him as much as we once did. Okay? And so man uh, generally being made in the image of God, another passage is James 3.8 that uh, mentions this, even though we're sinners. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I mean, all of us have said things that we shouldn't have said. We've, none of us have tamed our tongue uh, completely because no one can actually do that with our sin nature. But it goes on to say, therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. A similitude, uh, not a word we probably use that often, but a similarity to God. We are created in the image of God. We're similar to him. And, and so here we go around cursing someone who was made in the image of God. So the point is, um, yes, mankind is still created in the image of God even after the fall. Uh, so we come to our second point on the slide then. Our redemption in Christ means that we can, even in this life, progressively go, grow into more and more likeness to God. And so now we wouldn't have to grow more and more in likeness had we never had the sin nature in the first place, but with the sin nature... Uh, we have the ability. We don't have to wait just until we get to the redemption of Christ, like die and go to heaven. Now we can finally uh, be different. We can be different in this life and grow uh, more progressively. Uh, Colossians 3.10 uh, is one of two verses I'll share along these lines. I have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Okay, and so here, uh, uh, of course, uh, Paul is speaking of putting on the new man, like put on Christ, put off the old man or the old, old man with his old sin nature. And so it's teaching here that it's possible to have some change in the right direction. It says again, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So we can have that image renewed. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul also teaching here says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. And so we all have that ability again to be changed and to grow in this area. Yeah, but then you have the third um, event up here, Christ's return. And Christ's return is when that image is going to be fully restored, where we're actually reflecting God. Okay, yes, something. My wife has a, she doesn't have a poker face. I can read her face. She's confused about something. I've said something or done something up here. No. Okay. Also, her husband is not a mind reader. And he gets arrogant thinking he can read her face and know exactly what. She looked, I thought she looked confused. I'm like, what did I put up here that she's so confused? Let me have her clarify. Well, yes, you have a thought. You don't have anything. Oh, okay. 
A pain in the, oh, pain in the back. Okay. I'm glad she said that. Pain in the neck, I was wondering if she's going to be talking about me. <laughs> okay, but it's a pain in the back. She doesn't use that phrase for me, so I'm safe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that was a look. Okay, so that look I took is confused. She's got back pain. She did injure her back this past year, so. All right, well, bummer. Sorry you're not feeling well. Now she, I got her laughing now with all that, so she looks a lot happier than she did a moment ago. I thought she was confused. I'm like, what in the world did I write up there that is like causing? <laughs> okay, all right. Well, back to that last point, Christ's return. Here's a couple of verses that go with that, how our, uh, we have the chance. Yeah, someday this is going to be fully restored. Uh, Romans 8, 28. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, well, those he foreknew, this is speaking of those that he knew would become Christians. They're going to be, their, their destiny is to be conformed to the image of the Son. So we're going to fully reflect that the way we was uh, our original, as mankind, our original destiny. Christians are going to achieve that again. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine. Just as we have borne or bared or carried the likeness of the man who was made from dust. Okay, that's speaking of Adam. We will also bear the likeness of the man from heaven, that is Jesus. And so mankind, of course, you know, we're marred and we don't bear God's image like we should. Sometimes we bear the image of Adam. We bear the image of our sin nature. Uh, but someday we'll bear the image of Christ and that'll be changed. And so, yeah, these are major events in human history. Uh, of course, the creation the fall and redemption. Sometimes when, if you're thinking about um, you know, uh, the Bible and kind of trying to think the overall events, that's a good thing to think about. Man was created and perfect without sin nature, but then he fell. And now there's a need for redemption on that. Okay? So, so then as we think about the image of being created in the image of God, there are specific aspects uh, to this. And so on this slide, we, I just went ahead and put them all up at once. But what, how can we be created in God's image? Okay. Um, what would that entail if we're reflecting God, if we're similar to him? In what ways are we similar? Obviously, there's some things about God that we don't, we don't reflect or we're not similar to him. God, God's all-powerful. We might like to be all-powerful, but I'm glad none of us are. That'd be kind of scary. Put that kind of power in the hands of someone that doesn't have the, you know, wouldn't know what to do with that power. It's sort of like the, the story about Midas. Get this power to change anything to gold, but then finds out it's a curse. Because <laughs> now you, you know, what did, in that, is that Greek? Midas, I think it's Greek mythology. Does he touch his daughter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of wishing at that point I didn't have that power. Sounded really cool in theory, but yeah. So I'm sort of glad that we're not like God in uh, all ways, but we reflect him in certain ways. So one of the ways we reflect him uh, in regards to morality, uh, we are, of course, we're morally accountable uh, to God for our actions, but we have an inner sense of right and wrong. We often call that a conscience. Um, and that sets us apart from the animals. Like I I've become convinced that dogs do not have a conscience. They do not feel guilty. Uh, now, they cower. They, they feel like they're in trouble. Um, our first dog that my wife and I had, 
a chocolate lab named Coco. He disobeyed, and he didn't look like he cared at all. So we had a little bowl of candy with chocolates. I was so impressed how self-controlled he was. Because you think a dog, once they discovered the chocolates, they would just eat them all. No, no, he'd sneak a chocolate or two. Like we'd come home, and he'd be like, I'm looking at that bowl. Are there fewer Hershey's Kisses in there than there used to be? Well, I don't know, because I, I'm not that OCD. I didn't have them counted. It's like, but I don't know. It feels like there's maybe a few missing. And then, you know, a few days later, wait a minute. Are there a few more missing? Because, again, I didn't count them. Aha, we got the proof. Shiny little tinfoil and doggy do outside. Aha, you have been eating those, you little... But he would never feel guilty about things like that. Um, more like acting on instinct, but not really any innate sense of morality, such as, for example, that was stealing. Those were mine. I didn't give it to him. He stole, and he didn't feel bad about it at all. Now, he might have felt bad about me taking over the candy dish and telling him no and giving him a swat on the rear end. He felt bad about that, uh, but not about any moral uh, sense. And so, yeah, now we have the opportunity to reflect God more, be more like God when we do what's right or righteous. So when we're engaged in righteousness and justice, we reflect God because that's who God is. And the less we're like that, the more we engage in things that are not right or are sinful, then the less we're reflecting God. Okay, but this is definitely an aspect of our ability to reflect God or be similar to him. And a lot of the reflecting, I mean, it's similarity. God is righteous when we are. We're like, hey, I'm reflecting him or like him. Uh, then we have spiritual, our next one up there. Um, animals do not have a spiritual being, but humans do. Uh, uh, animals, of course, are physical, but they are, no, they are not immaterial spirit. Now, I don't want to crush any little kid's thoughts and hopes and dreams about what happens to Fido when he dies. Um, so if a little kid's like, oh, is my doggy going to go to heaven? I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, but maybe I won't say that right now. Let's, you know, you'll figure that out someday. Or you're watching the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, or, um, which I guess might be based on the other movie, Cats and Dogs. When you find out how evil cats are, you know why they don't go to heaven. Uh, but then you find out that you know, the dogs are the good guys, so certainly the dogs have to go to heaven um, on that. So, But um, no, unfortunately, the animals, they don't have um, a spirit that lives somewhere forever, but uh, humans do. There will be, and I assume yeah, the Bible talks about that. I don't think any of them probably lived on earth before that. Maybe they were reincarnated in heaven, a higher form of themselves, maybe <laughs> finally reached that nirvana. But then again, I might be deviating from biblical truth there for a moment, I think. Maybe I got off into another religion there for a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I slipped. I didn't know. I'm bi-religious. I, I slipped into the wrong one there for a moment. My, my bad. <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do. I'm, I'm trusting a, a certain sense of intelligence, whoever's listening to me on a recording, that they'll know I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, mankind's immortal. Not our bodies, of course, but we'll live somewhere forever. And that's a huge scariness about mankind, because those who don't 
have that restored relationship with God, we'll live in the lake of fire forever, the Bible says. But um, we have uh, the next one. Um, another aspect in which we can reflect or be similar to God is uh, mental, mental ability, um, thinking and reasoning. Now, animals have some of that ability. Um, so it doesn't mean just the ability to think at all. But there's, there's a definite difference between humans and everything else. And so... And it's not just in degrees. There's things that are completely not able to be done by any other life that God has created. Uh, for example, last I checked, I even, preparation for the Sunday school lesson, I had to go back and watch All Dogs Go to Heaven and Cats, uh, Cats and Dogs. So those two movies, just as, I didn't really do that, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my wife's like, what? She, she knew I was weird, but she's like, what is he? <laughs> That's how you research for Sunday school? Wow. That's, uh, her, her opinion was, well, maybe not that high. Her opinion was here before, and then it just sunk. <laughs> okay. So, no, last I checked, the dogs have not written, you know, like um, Fido's philosophy of, you know, canine, you know, life. Or dogs don't write books of philosophy. Uh, chimpanzee, a troop of chimpanzees. They don't sit around and discuss the meaning of life. Uh, they don't have that kind of ability to think and reason. Uh, they don't discuss ethical issues. Like, for example, I saw on um, TV uh, one of these kind of science, nature kind of channels where they were talking about chimpanzee behavior. And they uh, were showing uh, some chimpanzees go, resorting to cannibalism. Uh, they actually, one troop of chimpanzees raided another group and attacked them. So it's like humans aren't the only ones, I guess, do warfare. And they did warfare, and they, they won. The group that did the attack won. And they were eating uh, some of the chimpanzees that they had defeated. Um, do they sit there and have ethical thoughts about you know murder and and morality and whether we no no they, they, they don't really think about that they just did and so it seems to be one way that we reflect god morality uh mental our ability to think and reason is something of course that god does uh that we can do they wouldn't sit around and and debate theological issues either they wouldn't contemplate the trinity or Think about Calvinism versus Arminianism. And so these things are things that are unique to um, us. We can do complex, abstract things. Animals don't think in the abstract. Um, Grudem mentions uh, this, and also I'll just read from him. He says, I could tell my son when he was four years old to go and get the big red screwdriver from my workbench in the basement. Even if he had never seen it before, he could easily perform the task because he knew the meaning of go, get, big, red, screwdriver, workbench, and basement. He could have done the same thing for a small brown hammer or a black bucket beside the workbench or any of dozens of other items that he perhaps had never seen before, but visualized when I described them in a few brief words. No, no chimpanzee in all history has been able to perform such a task, a task that has not been learned through repetition with reward, now, that would be if you like, okay, let me take you down, Junior. Okay, what? Down this way. Red screwdriver. Snack. Okay. <laughs> Go back. Okay, down again. Red screwdriver. Snack. <laughs> I 
like we do with a dog. Uh, that, that's not uh, what was happened through repetition with reward, uh, which we can, of course, train animals to do that. So you could train your dog to go get the red screwdriver, uh, but not because there was any abstract understanding. He goes on to say, but it's simply described in words that refer to an item that the hearer has never seen before, yet four-year-old human beings can do this routinely, and we think nothing of it. Yes, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely innate behavior. And yeah, definitely. And yet we see a definite difference between animals and humans on mental abilities and abstract thought and reasoning skills. Okay? Uh, including, by the way, an awareness of the distant future. Reminds me of a joke. Okay. <laughs> My wife's shaking her head. She's like scared where I'm going with this. Okay. Did you hear about the dyslexic agnostic insomniac? He lied awake at night wondering if there was a dog. Okay, I have to think about that for a little bit. Yeah, okay. yeah. And yet a dog doesn't lie awake at night wondering if there's a God because he doesn't think about things like that or he doesn't wonder what's going to happen to me when I die. I don't even know if an animal has the concept of death. But if they do, I don't think they sit there thinking about what's going to happen to me after this. Uh, they, they don't have that w uh, type of thinking. Uh, but humans do. We have the ability to th think creatively, art, music, uh, literature. Um, it would include things like emotions as well. Um, all these uh, you know, reflect God and are similar uh, to him. Uh, maybe not you know, identical to the Lord in these things obviously, like complexity of ability to reason. Um, and so even though animals do show these things, even like emotions, it's just not the same. So, and I've seen emotions in animals. They're more emotional than I uh, realized when I didn't have indoor pets. But my wife uh, likes indoor uh, pets. We've had indoor pets. And uh, so I've learned more about dogs through that. And you do see certain emotions uh, in them, uh, but it's just not to the same degree as humans. And so that's one aspect that we reflect the image of God. Uh, then we have uh, relational as the next one. And animals, uh, animals can have relationships. I see that out in the yard uh, recently. All the quail are all paired up into mating pairs. So look, oh, little, there goes a little boy girl scurrying around the yard. Oh, there's another one. I was counting one day. We had six pairs of male and female. So, and yet... They don't have the same kind of relationships that humans have. Um, they might be mating pairs, uh, but are they gathering together for family, you know, barbecues? Obviously, they can't barbecue, but it, do you know? I, I was thinking, um, and I flashback when I was thinking about this to a dog uh, that we had when we were younger, and just think about dogs in general. But we had one of our dogs. She's kind of young for, to be a mother, and she killed all her babies. I don't know she panicked or freaked out under the pressure. And, and she actually bit all her babies to death. Um, yet, the ones who don't do that, I don't see any of them seeming to be more bonded. Oh, my, she's probably going to shoot down my theory. Yeah, what do you have a thought?
Yeah, we had two dogs that had babies at the same time. She tried to dog nap. Maybe not all that dissimilar than the two moms that Solomon had to deal with. Oops, my baby died. I want yours. <laughs> yeah, so I just think um, they don't have the same bonding. Oftentimes when, um, you know, like uh, our dog, for example, that we used to have, his name was Rex. A good dog, he was from our neighbor's dog. I don't think Rex ever sat around saying, I need to go up and visit mom. I don't think he had the concept of that was mom. I mean, he would have been close to her when he was a puppy, but at some point, it's like, nah, that relationship wasn't there. And so uh, we can reflect God in, in our um, relationships, our desire to have relationship. We could have relationships with each other. Uh, we could have relationships with God. And so this uh, deeper aspect of what it means to be human can reflect something about God, because God also, even like within the Trinity, there's relationships that are there, and then he can have relationships with us. And then lastly is the physical, and the physical, um, our bodies give us the ability to reflect the image of God, and now this one here would be one where obviously a lot of, a lot of organisms have you know, physical features about them, and yet we have the ability, again, through our bodies to enjoy God's creation, in some ways, to do this in a way that even other organisms don't do. We can praise the Lord. Uh, we can you know, listen to his word. So, you know, through some of those physical activities, uh, we can bring glory to God through what we do physically. So even that, we can reflect God in us. So basically, um, in, in all that, just basically, we can reflect the God in all kinds of ways. Um, and it's not just a spiritual concept, but our whole being uh, can do this, and in some unique ways, it makes mankind a unique creation. So, just some closing uh, thoughts on this: uh, we have the ability to grow, to become more like God through our lives. Our moral behavior can reflect God. Our spiritual life can be enriched. Enriched. Our use of reason and language. I don't know if you're catching here. I'm just kind of going down through these, but our use of reason and language, mental can become more accurate and truthful, more honoring to God, our sense of the future, still mental, can become uh, intensified as we lay up treasures in heaven and seek for increased uh, heavenly reward, our ability to rule over creation. I didn't mention that one before, relational. We have our relationship with the creation itself reflects God in the dominion mandate. The fact that God gave us the instructions to have dominion over the creation at much like God has dominion over his creation could reflect him. And that can be extended by faithful use of the gifts that God has given us. Our emotions more and can be more and more conformed to the pattern of scripture so that we become more like David, a man after God's own heart. Our interpersonal harmony in our families, again, relational, and in the church can reflect more and more the unity that exists among the persons of the Trinity so we can reflect God more and more in that. And so maybe that's a, something we take with us is maybe a, a renewed desire that we actually reflect God in our lives uh, because that's his will for us. We're created in his image, but with the sin nature, that image is often marred so that rather than someone saying, okay, wow, bringing glory to God in your life, Someone's like, okay, bringing dishonor to God and not fulfilling that destiny. All right, any closing uh, thoughts or remarks on your part? Okay, let's go ahead. You got something? She's trying to decide if she's going to say something or not.
Non-forgetful? Oh, okay. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, you do see aspects of those things in, in animal kingdom. <laughs> 